many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Can I confess something to you guys? No, this isn't a early 90s or whenever it was Usher song. I speak one language, and it's at a relatively mediocre level. But when a recent, very significant event happened in my life, and I decided to take on Korean, the person I reached out to was today's guest. Yes, it's still Boomer from Decoding Superhuman, and yes, this is an episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast where we talk about high performance, but this is my second episode on the concept of super learning, and Justin Nope is a language and performance expert. He's also a very good friend. He went through the regular school system, coming out the other end and asking, really, is this experience beneficial? What am I going to hold on to? And in 10 years' time, am I going to use this? Which is a very logical question to ask because we're evolving and innovating at such a rapid pace. After teaching languages for 15 years, Justin's approach is radically different. Unlike many teachers in language programs, he shows how to become automatic with language and use your brain's natural methods. Justin is able to connect his clients with other cultures and achieve surprising results, like get me ordering Korean food from a menu very quickly. Justin's method is a fusion of language and brain training that connects his clients to their previously unrealized potential. Companies and individuals all along the spectrum, from style consultants to internet exchange companies, as well as high-performance advisors like myself, have come to him for fast and long-term results, not only in languages, but in other aspects of brain performance, such as presentation coaching, accent reduction, and metacognitive skills training. So what did Justin and I get into? Considering Justin and I are, are good friends, we got into quite a bit, and it was quite a lot of fun for me. We talked about how Justin memorized pi to 100 digits. I'm not quite sure anything beyond 3.14 just because I've never really studied it, but that was fascinating in itself. But then he took it to a next level, like memorizing a chapter of Moby Dick, which he can still recall to a pretty reasonable degree of fluency today. But we then jumped ship and said, how do we apply this memorization skills, if you will, to other subjects? How do we apply it to things like language? And I got to really pick Justin's brain and how he's really deconstructed language and made it really easy to learn for people and also damn fun. Now, I've worked with Justin in another capacity over Korean, and I have to tell you that this is the most fun experience that I've had in learning a language, frankly, ever. Sure as hell beats sixth grade French class, that's for sure. I'm going to link to Justin's website in the show notes, but I think uh, brainsmith.london is the website. You want to check that out, and he has a special going on in his Spanish class. But the show notes for this one are going to be at decodingsuperhuman.com slash brainsmith. Stick it out because Justin is an uber smart guy and all of his book recommendations are definitely worth picking up. Enjoy my episode with Justin Nope. The sponsor for today's podcast is Neurohacker Collective. The chairman, Jordan Greenhall, has been on the show to talk about one of my favorite topics and episodes to date, sovereignty. And the medical director has also been on the show to talk about unleashing your human potential through epigenetics. That's Dr. Daniel Stickler. But why do I love Neurohacker Collective so much? Well, frankly, it upgrades me on a day-to-day -day basis. Actually, I take their products five out of seven days of the week. Their original Qualia stack is something that I absolutely and still thoroughly enjoy. It's packed with over 40 premium brain nutrients to immediately enhance your focus, energy, mood, creativity, and all while supporting your health. Their new flagship nootropic, Qualia Mind, is a premium nootropic supplement that helps support mental performance and brain health. And frankly, with both products, I do not get the crashes that I commonly get with nootropics and other supplements. So I want you to go over to their website and check it out when you have a chance. It's neurohacker.com, and if you subscribe, you get 15% off by using the code BOOMER. 
If you want to just do a one-time purchase, you get 10% off, again, using that code BOOMER. And while you're there, pick up their free foundational guide to neurohacking. It's definitely worth checking out. But please, enjoy the show. Justin, welcome. Hey, Boomer. How's it going? Ah, man, this is beautiful. It's great to have you on the show and to think it all started with the the legend known as Skip Kelly. So... uh, I think that Skip deserves a shout out for introducing us, but you know it's been a lot of fun getting to know you over the past couple of months, and uh, I'm glad we're able to do this. Yeah, me too. And I mean, like you say, you know, the legend, the man himself. Uh, he's a great networker. He's great at connecting people, and I'm so thankful for you know all the connections, including you know, obviously, especially you. So it's been incredible following uh, you on Instagram and seeing all your content too. You know, like that's been, that's been insane. So, yeah, I, I, I thought you would have said your girlfriend as well, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she goes without saying, she goes without yeah, saying. Yeah, of, of course, of course, of course. Lori, if you're listening, we're having fun. <laughs> um, so let's, I, I, I want to kick things off, Justin, by just asking a question of really, I, something that fascinates me about you is, just, and we'll get into all that is you in a second, but did you really memorize pi to 100 digits? <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, I did it on a New Year's Day as a way of cheering myself up. So so, yeah. so, so January 1, where you've probably got some self-induced headache going and you decide, what was that like? Like, What, what went through your head that said, memorizing 3.14, I actually can't go past that? <laughs> Um, to a hundred digits is a, is a good idea. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, inside all of us, we've got this idea of, we need challenge, we need purpose. And one of the things that came up for me was that the guys who are doing memory championships, their methods that they use, they throw away whatever they put in their memory pretty much the next day. Oh, can you memorize a deck of cards in under a minute, random order of deck of cards? Sure. You know, so I've tried that myself as well. And within like two weekends of practice, not even the full weeks, just the weekends, getting the methodology down to getting it in under two minutes. Sure, it's possible. So if you train for a year, absolutely, but you throw it away. And so the question was, how do we induce deep learning? And I had a theory on it. And that was the time I tested it. And I was like, I'm doing this. So yeah, it really helped make me feel better. Okay, you and I are taking a trip to Vegas soon because this sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a good idea. I, I used to work in casinos actually. I was a croupier. <laughs> we could do that. Uh, we, could do that. We, we should probably put a disclosure at the beginning of this saying like, "Hey, Caesar's Entertainment. Maybe you shouldn't listen to this one." But um, <laughs> that's a separate subject. All right. So I, I want to talk about one of the things you kind of hinted at this sort of theory of learning, but also. Uh, do it in the context of something else that I've learned about you and, and your memorization capability, but also learning capability, because we'll get to how I reached out to you about something in a little bit. But you memorize a chapter of Moby Dick. And as somebody who found it hard just to get through the book, first off, do you mind just talking us through why, why what was the challenge for you? And then really, how did you go about doing this? Because I want to kind of deconstruct that system. Sure. Um, so initially, the, the thought was extending the, the pi experiment. You know, could I memorize pi? Sure. Okay, well, what else could I apply this learning methodology to? And I was looking for examples. And one of my heroes is Joshua Foa, who wrote Moonwalking with Einstein. And he actually video for Vox on the Vox channel on YouTube, where he memorized the same chapter of Moby Dick. And I thought, can I do it? And now this guy is a US memory champion trained by a world memory grandmaster. And what I did is I took his time that he says in that video, and I crushed it. And so the methodology that I used, actually, most people would know it's very similar. It's a combination of many methodologies. But the main one is the trigger letters for each word and then trigger uh, letters for the beginning of sentences. So for example, everybody knows that uh, if you want to spell because you say things like big elephants can always understand small elephants. Okay, I've actually never done that before. But oh, that no? sounds interesting. Yeah, <laughs> or it's uh, what's the other one Betty eats cakes and uncle sells eggs and you're using, you know, like, a word to trigger a letter. And I just did the reverse, you know, a letter to trigger a word. Very similar thing. Yeah. And took two hours to put in and encode and then be able to perform it to 
being able to speak it faster from memory than a person could read it with preparation time as well. So, yeah. Okay, so this is very interesting. But as you were going through this, first off, what was the record that Joshua for, for, and we'll link to the book in the show notes because I do think Moonwalking with Einstein is a good book. But what was his record? And then do you mind just sharing with us, maybe for ego's sake, what you actually were able to do it in? So uh, you're talking about the record in terms of what could he produce it? At what rate? Yeah. Or how long did it take him to memorize the chapter and then reproduce so, it? So I don't think he actually, because he gave a range. He's like, oh, it took between four and 12, uh, sorry, over four days, about three, four hours a day. So that's anywhere from between 12 to 16 hours. Mm-hmm. And that that wasn't necessarily a very measured uh, thing. I think he did it just to show people how to do it for the sake of the video. What was his record? I'm sure he could have done it a lot faster. Uh, the question is, is again, how long could he keep it for? And so I just actually went through it this morning in my head. I went through Pi. I went through Moby Dick. Now, when I actually memorized it was whew, two years ago, actually, two years ago, 2017 January. So it's 2019 January. And I went through it. And I think the last time I went through it was probably about four months ago at a party as a party trick and it's still in there to 99% efficiency. There was one reminder that I needed or like one, uh, one number that I messed up, but a 99% retention of a memory like that over a five month period. And so that's my metric that I use. So like, what was his record? What was mine? That's a performance metric. It's a little bit of a vanity metric. Sure. It's pretty cool, but more to the point is like, well, how do I, did I keep it? And the answer is absolutely. And I doubt he still has it. So let's, let's, I'm going to double click on this because this is very interesting to me. What enables you to keep it? Or is he, or many of us who crash, uh, I guess you can say, you know, study for things. We study it very short time periods and we're not able to retain it for very long. What enabled you to retain all of this over time? Um, It's pretty much, uh, I think, the big problem is a misunderstanding of the fundamentals of like the anatomy of memory. And if I could summarize it in one word, it's macro space repetition. So you've no doubt heard of the space repetition system, but think about that on a macro scale. Space repetition, just to define for everybody who may not know it, what would it be? Space repetition is a system whereby you increase your interval period of recalling a certain memory. So for example, the first time you encounter it, in that hour, you repeat it, let's say, three or four times. And then in the second hour, you reduce that number by like 50 or whatever. And so you get this diminishing uh, number of times that you have to recall something over time. But the question is, does it ever get to zero? And so with Pi and Moby Dick, I'm probably at one recall per six months to be able to retain that memory. And that's all it needs. I mean, like... If you're a first language speaker of English, you will not forget how to say things like, how are you? It's never going to happen because there's been so much space repetition recall and an encoding of a memory. And so we're following that same pathway. Do you mind, because when we were going through Moonwalking with Einstein and when I asked you about this before, you were saying that there's somewhat of an issue with memory palaces. Do you mind just telling people what memory palaces are and how you'd use them differently to memorize something like Moby Dick or to learn a different subject, etc.? Sure. Uh, so a memory palaces um, is the colloquial name for what's called the loci method or location method of memory techniques. It's the idea that your brain understands three-dimensional space better than anything else. And it's putting memories into a space that you already understand and that you're very familiar with. Most memory experts, if you read a memory book, uh, I can always recommend a few. They always tout the loci method or the the memory palace technique as being your number one for memory. The biggest issue with this is that it becomes cluttered. It gets very busy very quickly. And being able to like unscramble this mess takes time. And so it has limitations, especially for people in the beginning. The fundamental problem is that it seems great at the get-go to memorize a list of, I don't know, random facts. And as soon as you reach a saturation point of, let's say, I don't know, 40 items, all of a sudden now your brain is clogged, full of stuff, and it actually becomes more of a pain than it's worth. An easy way around this is to compound things. And so like combine together with, for example, 
a number technique instead of just using one, we start to compound it with using multiple. Okay, so can we give a tangible example for people here? Because like I've read Moonwalking with Einstein, had the pleasure of just picking your brain on that. In terms of compounding, what do you mean by that? Okay, so for example, I went to Argentina on a sabbatical for nine months because my goal was to be able to immerse myself and see, could I learn Spanish without a textbook, without a teacher? Could I learn Spanish by absorbing it from my environment? And so I thought, okay, cool. And I've got all of this other detail. Like I used uh, a Spanish corpus website to actually download the most frequent words, you know, following that theory as well, which is all sorts of problems as well. But the main point is that I memorized probably about a hundred pieces of vocabulary within the first couple of weeks. Couldn't remember any of it. There wasn't any deep learning happening, you know, like the week after it was starting to fade or like the memory wasn't strong. So I started doing sentences instead. And even with that, let's imagine that you're at your front door. Now you combine it together with numbers. So you imagine 10 numbers around your front door, like buttons. And so the number memory technique can be done visually so number one looks like a gun, but also uh, audially. So number one sounds like maybe wand, like Harry Potter's wand. Number two sounds like shoe, but number two could also look like a swan, for example. So you choose which one you want. So all I do is I push button number one that's around my door, and I've got a gun, and the, it prompts the memory, de que hablas. Number two is shoe, which is, is going to be uno siempre le teme a lo que no entiende. Number three is tree, which is por tu propio bien. Number four is door, which is me parece justo. And so it just at my door, I have 10 full sentences prompted by a combination of these memory techniques, which means that I put over 100 sentences in my head in a period of, hmm, it must have been about two months because I only figured it out towards the end of my time there. And it was those two months that were the most impactful in terms of my language ability. Interesting. This is great because on multiple different levels, I assume you can take this kind of combination or this compounding sequence and apply it to even things like biochemistry or quantum physics if you really wanted to learn it. Would it work for that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually had an, uh, an ex who was freaking out. She didn't do any study for her paper on uh, what was it greco-roman poetry and in one weekend so i taught her this method uh, this method of combination and in one weekend she studied like i think 40 different greco-roman poets wrote a paper on the monday and got like it was it was above 60 percent for it from having done nothing for a year this was her final in a university degree this is awesome so justin i want to take this and apply it to language because you just kind of hinted on it but one of the ways that you and I have interacted in the past is with my desire to learn the Korean language as a person who doesn't or has not had that much success in languages in the past this is a particular challenge for me but I came to you and you had this amazing system for it and I want to give you time now to just let's talk about that system because you have a remarkable talent for languages how many how many languages do you speak at sort of a conversational level? I would say I would say five at a conversational level. Yeah, it's funny because one of them was for free. I would say my Portuguese is conversational and I've never studied Portuguese before. It's just having interactions with enough people to pick up the accent and then applying the knowledge of Spanish into Portuguese. Uh, and you'll always get that from Portuguese speakers, especially like the Brazilian Portuguese. They say they can understand Spanish, but the Spanish don't understand them. Uh, sorry, the Spanish speakers don't understand them. And it's just it's just a, an accent thing. So yeah, I would say I got my fifth for free. So with the with a language in general, if you were to attack it and say, we can either use Korean or I know you do a lot of work with Spanish as well, but like if you were to attack, tackle any sort of language, where would you start? Where's the appropriate place for people to start? Because this is pretty complex for people like myself, particularly in the United States, where we're not super incentivized to learn language. It's a big, um, so this is a very big question. And I find myself like answering this regularly because so many people want to start a language. I, I you know, try and define your target market for language learning and it's everybody. You ask anybody. <laughs> start a business and you know maybe some people will say yes and some people will say no but you ask someone if they want to learn a language and the answer is always yes nobody's like nah i'm cool with one no it's not true everybody wants to learn a language where do you start so much misinformation out there without throwing too much salt 
into the mix, the answer is very simple, is start with the part that is the most sociable. So if we, if we follow how the brain actually works, the brain is wired to be social, the brain is wired to be emotional, more than logical. Your cortex development is always overridden by emotional stimulus, by physical stimulus, which tends to be very social as well. So if we engage those factors, what we're looking at is just social. First thing that people learn how to say usually is the hello, how are you conversation. And that stick. You know, they don't need to write it down. They just learn it. And then after that, you know, without any formal education, just by speaking to people, asking them for a little bit more variety. How do I say I'm tired? How do I say I'm sad? How do I say good morning? And what you do is you create one focal point, which is your social situation of, let's say, saying hello and building out there and just extending it out. How do I say I am sick? Oh, no, no. How do I say I'm better now? And the amount of language that comes out of that type of social interaction is incredible. If you're starting with a teacher, don't, don't ever start with, with grammar. You know, grammar, that type of analysis or singular words, that should come as an accessory. You know, when you go to the gym, you, you do certain, certain lifts as your compound movements or let's say as your main focus. You don't do things that are accessory as a primary. It's the same thing with language learning. Certain things are accessories, not primaries, you know. Certain things are flavors. You know, you don't put paprika in. You don't put like five cups of paprika and a sprinkling of chicken. It doesn't, it, you, you're going to get a terrible dish. Could be something that I've seen in Filipino cuisine before, but um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, so going back to this because th- this is very interesting, right? For me, at least, as somebody who's never tackled language with this kind of precision before. But why is it, our brains are wired to be social? Do you mind explaining sort of what that means? Because you've walked me through your system before, and it's it's fascinating to me the sort of level of almost neuroscience that you go into? Uh, Well, I I think that's a big point is that uh, there's so much misinformation about language and learning and how we learn and how memory works. And a lot of it is, it's not informed by science. And the more that we've got information about neurology and neuropsychology, like the more that we can actually measure, the more we see what's going on and we we learn things. Like, you know, there's so many myths out there. Like we only use 10% of our brain's capacity. It's like, no, no, actually we use 100%, 99 <laughs> to 100% like all the time because 99% of your brain isn't for thinking. It's actually just for living and being. And so if you take it on those kind of principles, everybody's heard or hopefully everybody's heard of, you know, you've got your reptilian brain, Right. And that just takes care of all your fight or flight responses. And then after that, you've got the, the mammalian brain. And so that part of things is actually the, the largest part of your brain. And that deals with, if you think about apes, you know, social, social hierarchy, uh, social grooming in terms of relationships, you know, like the alpha male is not the one that can actually beat up everyone, but it's the one that soothes people after fights. That's a big deal. And so you get all of that type of layering of how the brain is actually structured and layered. And the deepest parts of the brain tend to be the parts that we revert to when we lose control. And so it's very symptomatic. Look, what are the symptoms? When people lose control, that's when you see the hard wiring that's there. And so what is the hard wiring? Emotions come out, strong emotions. So if we make learning much more emotional, it becomes deeper rooted. The more cerebral we make it in terms of, oh, I need to learn this grammar or this vocabulary, sure, great, but then program it in a way that comes out naturally, that it's part of your body, it's part of your emotions, it's part of social structures as well. So informed by those kind of things, by neuropsychology, we can actually get to deeper learning and and actually a better learning experience in general. In the past, my, my approach to learning anything was sort of like, let's buy 10 books on it read as much as we can, bowl in the China shop style. With languages, I I just haven't really succeeded at all. But with the setup in general of learning anything, but in particular language, how important is that initial study of what to study? Or do you just start with all the social, social interactions and sort of the social phrases? How important is the setup? Okay. Um, so you've really, I want to comment on something that you've said. I think before, so I'd ask you to, to ask the question again, but very quickly, it's this idea of bull in a china shop. And I think 
one of the biggest things to remember about learning is that all learning happens as a way, sorry, I, you're making me think. I had a conversation with a university student on the, on the flight from Edmonton to Toronto, and it was a three-hour conversation. And he was like, oh, you, you're a learning coach. You're a performance coach. That's great. I keep having fatigue, you know, cognitive fatigue. I get burned out studying at university. There's just too much to study. And this comes into it. It's very much like one of the main things is that your fundamental, your foundational knowledge before you try and learn something new, you have to attach what you know to new stuff. If what you're learning, you have absolutely no relation to, it's going to be incredibly fatiguing. If you don't know how to weight something and say, this is more important than that, and therefore I don't know where to sort it out, or I'm not sure what the value is, it's going to sit in limbo in your mind and actually cause a lot of this cognitive fatigue. And this is where obviously metacognitive models come in, helps lighten that load. But in terms of memory and learning, it's a very simple thing. What is that new information going to hook to? And so that's, that's your main thing. So if you're reading 10 books on a subject, how much is going to stick depends on what is your base level of knowledge right now. And so a lot of people, a lot of like learning experts and, and people who study learning will tell you that the breadth of knowledge that you have will actually inform how deep you can go into something as well. Let's, let's step back into setting up that language discussion in terms of how do we attack something like Spanish or like Korean. You've already gone and done the work of sort of saying, I need to learn a couple of phrases to get started. From there, take us through how you would uh, teach somebody how to learn languages. Because I know you and I have had that conversation about Korean and sort of how to attack that. How would you attack, we could do Spanish or we can pick whatever language you want. How would you do it? Anytime you approach something, you've got a philosophy of how it works, how you would apply that philosophy to like an overarching program. And then on a daily basis, what do those exercises look like? Kind of like if you want to go to the gym, you don't just pitch up at the gym and choose a random exercise to do on that day. You know, you've got a goal in mind. You've got a philosophy of how the body works and what's the best results that you can get with how you understand, or rather a result that's in alignment with your, your understanding of the body. Then you have like, let's say a three month program. And then what does that program look like on a daily basis? Okay, what exercise am I doing? How many reps, how many sets? So you've got this idea of what's your philosophy or approach? What's your methodology or your program? And then what are your daily techniques? And so I run people through this gauntlet. Very simply, do you agree with the philosophy? that language is social, that language is emotional, that children can learn a language without, without learning grammar. And so if we learn grammar, it's an accessory to learning, not a primary function of learning. And so that accessory will help us accelerate our learning. And so that's very challenging. People are like, oh, children are such great learners. No, they're not. They're pretty, pretty dumb without offending anyone who's got kids here. <laughs> You will be able to tell, like, kids are so smart. They can figure out how to roll. And I'm like, big deal. I can roll as well, you know. But uh, it's because they're going through developmental, uh, cognitive um, development. And so as an adult, you already have an established development, which means that we can actually learn faster than a child with what we've got. Taking that approach, taking that philosophy, we then apply the methodology. And the methodology works very simply. If we are trying to connect what exists in the language to what we have now, we need to observe. We need to recognize patterns. If we cannot recognize patterns, we're not, we're not seeing all the possibilities. So there's an observation, and after that, an embodiment. The fundamental floors of understanding how memory work. Most people learn on what's called the phonological loop, or short-term memory as well. So I'm sure everybody can relate to this and tell me if it triggers you as well. You have, you're in high school, and you've got an exam or a test the next day, and you have not been studying regularly. So what do you do? You read through all of your notes the night before, you ace the test, but then two days later, you can't remember any of that information. No, no deep learning happened. And that's because you've paid attention to just one function of memory, which is that short memory function. So the embodiment part of the methodology is actually when we take something that's proceduralized, something that you can do, and you don't even think about it. So the best way to describe this is think about driving a car. The first time that you learned how to drive a car, you probably, especially I, I, my experience was manual transmission, right? Stick. 
learning to drive stick and you know first gear second gear clutch control and brake and accelerator and then i still have to check blind spots and indicates and all that kind of stuff when you when you learn how to drive like that there's so many different points for you to focus on but after two months of driving regularly it's automatic and you can i when i was 19 there i was driving smoking a cigarette drinking you know a coke listening to music while talking on my phone so i was balancing like four other things at the same time probably not the safest thing and definitely i don't do any of that anymore but uh, you know for purposes of demonstrating cognitive load you can understand that once you've made something a process you can do it automatically and you can add more things to it and so that's that's the embodiment uh, part of the methodology and then after that there's the stress part and then after that the reflect part so going through all those again it's observe embody stress and reflect and each one of those is worth an hour of discussion at least each so just running through that then what does that look like on a daily basis the number one thing is most people rush they don't observe they're like oh this is the phrase that i need to learn cool so, for example, in Korean, uh, in South Korea at least, they have an expression which is "dakdugobi," uh, or depending on where you are, if it's "da" or "do," "dakdugobi," or the president's house is "chongwadejonggun." And straight away, the observation of this, most people wouldn't try and learn it; they would try and jump to it. Oh, tell me, say it again, okay? And then they would start repeating it, and they would jump the. I'm doing that in my head right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And it's more the observation. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm a resource. I'm not a finite resource in this moment. I'm an infinite resource for at least 10 minutes. You can just use me for 10 minutes. And so asking that person, repeat it again. Repeat it slowly. Repeat it fast. Do this. Do that. Do this. Until you start noticing a lot of patterns. So it's like, hmm, 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 hmm. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, there's five sounds. Interesting. And it sounds like those three are grouped together. Da, da, da. Duh, duh. And so now we've got a pattern of sound and five things and three are grouped together and two are grouped in another way. It's chong wa day. Uh, day, I know day because of hyun day. You know, it's not quite day. It's more like day or whatever. You know, my, my Korean is really, really fundamental. And so again, this observation of it, you know, we take it deeper, you know, analyze it. And it's not analyzing grammar, it's analyzing sound. How can I connect to the sound? How can I use my, my, my knowledge? So like, chong wa de wa 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 sounds pretty cool. It sounds like, I don't know, maybe Bruce Lee would be jumping around going like, wah. And that's how you remember it. And then after that, you've got day, you know? So it's a day for Kung Fu. It's a wa day, right? And then chong, chong, chong wa de jang gun. And jang gun for me, like goon sounds like goon maybe. You know, so if you like ice hockey, you've seen that movie called The Goon or, you know, you know, you've got like a position in ice hockey. And so it's all of these random things. And it seems like such a complicated process. But the very simple thing is that memory, the more you try and simplify it, the, 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 the worse it works. Think about a city. You don't just have one road that goes into that city. You don't just have one neural connection to a memory. You will have several. The more roads that you can create that lead into that one city, the better. And then strong ones, the really good ones, the easy ones, you just repeat them and you make those roads bigger and you tar them and you make them 16 lanes large so that that memory becomes so super solid in your mind. And so it's looking at all of these things and the more familiar you get with that memory, the less memory work actually needs to happen. So the more observation you have, the less memory work needs to happen. Then we kick over to embodiments. And we do repetitions, but we do focused repetitions. We try and put our, you know, as someone who's physical, you understand the, the need for mind-muscle connection. Absolutely. So my, mindless repetitions of an exercise is like st stupid thing. Just stop working out, go home, relax. So putting your mind into your, and your focus into what you're doing, focus repetitions. And uh, Doug Lamov, who's an award-winning teacher in the U.S., talks about this as well. And he cites a study where they... How, how fast can you proceduralize a memory? For example, how quickly can you, uh, can you learn to sew on a button before it becomes automatic? And the answer is sewing on a button needs between 70 to 100 focused repetitions before you can do it effortlessly as if it were your job. 70 to 100 repetitions of a sentence will take you between three and five minutes. 
So imagine that you take three and five minutes to learn one sentence by repeating it and never having to learn that sentence again, never having to study that sentence again, never having to write down in your notebook, oh, this is a great sentence. I need to learn this later. Later never comes. Do your reps on a daily basis. Just do one sentence a day. And that's what that embodiment looks like. So let's say you do all of this, you do your observation, you do your embodiments, and then you try and use it. You go to a coffee shop and you want to say, hello, how are you? And you freeze. Uh, that's basically describes my f interactions with the French language. <laughs> Such a common thing, right? Where you're like, ah, oh, great. This person speaks French. I'm going to speak French. And you're like, uh, 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 je, uh, je veux, uh, uh. it doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, the answer to that, you know, like the question, why does this happen is, is because social situations create pressure for us because we're social animals. If we make mistakes in front of people, it costs us social status, or at least in the past it did, at least in our biology, that's what our biology understands. How do we add stress into our training so that it's not stressful when we're outside? So it's the same thing. How do we stimulate a game without actually playing the game? So if you watch people playing football, and what I mean soccer for any Americans out there, if we watch people playing soccer, they don't just play soccer again and again and again. They will simulate specific areas of the game as well, like taking a corner or penalty shootout or something like that to train up that skill and also then play friendly games to increase that level of stress so that they become friends with stress. So that's the stress principle. And then after that, that reflection, like recording it so that you can see what do you produce. And it's the same thing. People watch their performances and they think about what have they done and what can they do better next time. And so once again, their methodology is observe, uh, embody, uh, stress, and then reflect. Stress to me is one of the favorite, my favorite ones because I think you gave me the idea of listening to Korean music while trying to recite Korean sentence or Korean sentences. So it's a not easy thing to do, but no. it, it does make you a little bit more comfortable with talking to somebody in that language. Now, Justin, what if you're not in a place where, let's say you're in, I don't know, Lenexa, Kansas, for example, and you're trying to learn Mandarin or you're trying to learn Spanish or some, some language that's not readily available. What happens when immersion isn't possible? How do you recommend people go about doing this? Oh, so <clears throat> the former COO of Mindvalley and I, usually we, we have quite a lot of like back and forth discussions. And I would say like borderline fights about <laughs> immersion. And I, I personally, I don't feel it's practical for most people in the world to go to another country and immerse themselves in a culture and do immersion learning. And so if anyone wants immersion learning, I will, I will happily send them to, uh, to other people that I know. Who, who prefer immersion learning. I, nobody has time for that these days. You know, what's that meme? Ain't nobody got time for that. And so like, I, I, I personally, I also don't believe in it because you get to a saturation point as well. Imagine going to the gym for 16 hours a day. It's the ratios are off. They're not good. And so the only, the, what you need is a focused amount of stimulation, just like going to the gym and building muscle. And so 30 minutes per day is plenty to learn at an accelerated rate and actually overcome the timeframes that, you know, institutions claim you need for certain languages. I, I have something that I call meal prep. How do you prepare your learning for the next week? Okay, I need to make sure I've got three listenings for the next week. I need to make sure that I've got a dialogue that I can learn for next week. Meal prep is where people normally fall short. People cut their time up and say, I'm going to dedicate 30 minutes. What do I study? Uh, let me download this app. And it's such a waste of time. So if people want to do something, one of the biggest things that they can do is embody and learn these sentences. But what sentences? They have to front load that. And so getting dialogues is pretty easy. With the internet, there's no excuse to not learning a language. The biggest use comes in, in terms of, I don't know how to start. Yeah, exactly. So uh, on the, the starting point, you're saying, let's say uh, with the example of meal prep, because that's something I'm relatively familiar with on a Sunday night or whenever it is kind of laying out your, your language activities for the week. Is that similar to what meal prep would be? Yeah, 
exactly the point. So in meal prep, you're like, this is going to be my Tuesday meal. This is going to be my Wednesday meal. And you actually cook the food. You prepare the food. Same thing. You're like, Tuesday, I'm going to do a listening. Great. What listening am I going to do? Let me find it now. You don't have to listen to it. You just look, ah, there's a listening. I will do this listening. Does it meet the required nutritional standards? Does it have my macros in mind? Things like that. And the way that you do that with listenings is by asking, does it have subtitles in the language and in my language? So for example, if I'm learning Korean, I'd want the Korean script as well as a Roman script of the Korean language as well as English. So I've got all three. So then I can start to make associations between the sound and the Korean script, between the sound and then obviously the Romanization of Korean, of the language. And then for my, for my understanding, to make sure to check that I've, I've got the right, the right thing, I need to check that the script is also correct in English. And so something as simple as that actually makes your, your studying time a lot easier. You know, you don't have to think, what am I going to eat today? You've got it. You're like, cool, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do this. And a lot of people outsource that type of thing to fast food companies, which in this case is like apps, audio lingual programs. Exactly. Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, things like that. They're not bad. I mean, you can still, you can, it's learning in spite of eating McDonald's versus learning because of good nutrition. Okay. That's a that's a great analogy, by the way. Now, let's talk about just sort of the the quantity of time somebody needs to put in. You already hinted at 30 minutes. Is that 30 minutes seven days a week? Is it five days a week? Is there sort of a minimum effective dose, if you will? So the answer is really how long is a piece of string? Um, <laughs> depending on the person, it, it uh, totally depends on the person. And I'll explain that without copping out with that answer. We've already alluded to this a little bit, and <clears throat> I have what I call the neuromusculature. So I've been using a comparison of muscles. And so you talked about what I discussed with you about learning Korean and speaking and reciting your sentences whilst listening to Korean music or somebody speaking in Korean. And that's the ability to block out, you know, someone speaking and reciting something. And so that's part of, that's part of the brain's singular focus muscle. And so you actually find that there's these different muscles in the mind. And so the more developed your musculature is, your cognitive musculature, the faster that you can acquire stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the bigger your breadth, your foundational knowledge is before you learn a language, the easier it'll be to acquire a lot of that. So I just ran through an exercise with, um, with our connecting networking hero, old Skip Kelly, where I taught him four different languages, four, four expressions in four different languages. So I taught him Japanese. He's got a lot of exposure to Japanese. I taught him some Bahasa, some French, and some Italian. Just one sentence, each one. And actually, the one that was the most difficult was the one that he had the least experience with. That's got nothing to say about his abilities. It's more to the idea of he couldn't connect it to something that existed in his mind because nothing really existed. It was so far away from him. The more foundational stuff that you have, the faster you can acquire it. So the Foreign Services Institute is normally seen as the authority on language learning. And these are the people who wrote the programs for the CIA. At the moment, to, my, to the best of my knowledge, they're still, they're still the best. And they put out this thing about like, relative to English, the easiest languages to learn are X, Y, Z. And Spanish is in there, French is in there, because grammatically, it's a very similar system. English borrows a lot. And so they've, they've entered for like, I think it was 400 to 600 hours of class time. That's a lot of time, if you think about it. And a lot of time in class is also wasted. And a lot of time in class depends on teachers and, 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 and. So it's approximately 200 hours to level up, to go from beginner to intermediate, intermediate to a more advanced learner, and then advanced to proficiency. So most people don't need proficiency. Most people just want to have a conversation that's comfortable. How much time do you need to put in for that? I would say, yeah, 30 minutes a day, five, maybe six times a week for about six months. And you will get to a point, if you use the correct methodology, if you're learning the correct stuff, the correct material, six months. Six months to become very comfortable with that language. Don't do what I did when I was in Argentina and learned Spanish from prison break in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> wow became the most useless phrases I know in Spanish. But you know what? I still actually use them. They're, they're reference points now. So it's not a, it's a 
complete waste. But obviously my brain still tells, oh, you know that because of this Pirates of the Caribbean phrase, you know, like, like fear, that scene where Davy Jones leans forward and he says, do you fear death? Do you fear that dark abyss? I mean, the word abyss is so crazy. Like, why would anyone learn the word abyss? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's But true. that's that's what I got. That's awesome. So <laughs> one of the things that comes up in the training plan you gave me for Korean is threading. And I think you kind of alluded to it with what you're doing with Skip, but just in terms of threading, what what do you mean by threading? And do you mind explaining it for people? Because I think it highlights something that's that's extremely important and has become very useful for me. Absolutely. So a lot of what we've discussed so far seems to be just based on behavioral psychology work, you know, like Pavlov's dogs. It's conditioning, stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response. Humans are cognitive beings as well. And so threading is about programming in various sentences, kind of like needle and thread, and you're stitching together sentences. For example, in Japanese, I learned how to say, uh, sorry. Then I learned how to say, I don't understand, which was, suimasen, wakarimasen. And then I learned how to say, I don't speak Japanese well, you know, which was a, a, a nine minutes repetition thing to get it in my head, which was, watashi wa nihongo ga umaku hanasuko to ga dekimasen. And I'm sure my pronunciation could use work, but it's possible pronunciation for now, and it's different enough from English pronunciation to be able to separate the two in my brain. And then after that, I please speak slowly, which was, Threading is when you start adding them all together as well. So you start to compound your memories because now they're so familiar. You can say, And then you start thinking, how else can I do this? So for example, if I just said, I don't understand, speak slowly. Without the Japanese thing in the middle, I can say, And getting familiar with stitching different pieces together. And the ability to stitch these sentences together makes us seem incredibly, incredibly fluent. Mm-hmm. You know? So if I asked you to guess, based on what I just told you, what do you think is my fluency uh, with Japanese? Or forget that. How many hours do you think I've spent studying Japanese? I've already, I think I know the answer to this one, but based on what you said and not knowing the answer, it would be several, I would think you spend multiple days, right? Because you've spent time studying pronunciation, etc. Because it's not normal for a person to be able to speak quite effortlessly with very little study. It comes with time, it comes with dedication, because we're basing our language study in books. But you know, I usually surprise people, but I mean, it's not a vanity metric at all. It's more just this idea of I'm using the correct natural paths of learning. And I've put in maybe an hour, maybe total time. My two hours of Italian goes a lot further. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, Justin, first, before we get into the, the final four questions, and I want you to talk a little bit on that last one about your Spanish program, because I think it's something people will be interested in. But uh, before we get into the final four, I just want to say thank you. Big debt of gratitude to you because I have been terrified of languages forever. And when I heard you were this, I guess you call it super learner language guy, I had to reach out and be like, look, <laughs> dude, I just got engaged. I got to learn Korean. And you you stepped up and you gave me a format that is while it's not easy, it's certainly not easy, it's simple enough that somebody like me who has a time constraint can do the exercises and know that I'm making progress quickly. And I think that that last part, the know I'm making progress quickly, is is crucial for me in languages or in anything. Uh, so I just want to thank you, man. That was a huge assist on your part. Boomer, man, it's, it was my pleasure. And, you know, from the first day that we, we met um, in California, when was it? it was last year, September, we met each other online way before that. But from that time, I was like, oh, man, we're going to get along like a house on fire. So Absolutely. without a doubt, it was my absolute pleasure. And, you know, like uh, I'm looking forward to helping you even more and giving you even more. Thanks, brother. It means a lot. So before I, I, one more thing before I get into the, the four questions, and maybe these are your high-performance books, but um, the books you mentioned earlier on memory, if people wanted to go delve into those, what are some of the best books out there that you recommend for people? 
So <clears throat> the number one that I recommend for people, um, there's actually multiple um, from this one particular author, but the one I recommend is you too can have an amazing memory. And it's uh, Dominique, o, uh, I believe it's Brian, not Brian, Brian, Dominique O'Brien. And he's one of like the godfathers of, you know, mnemonics memory championships. The guy is a beast and he's been speaking and teaching people memory techniques for years. And so like Moonwalking with Einstein is a great story as well. It draws you in. So as we talked about before, um, it'll outlier the same techniques. But if you want to cut away from that and just go straight to the techniques, the, the individual independent techniques are outlined in any of Dominique O'Brien's books. He talks about all of these techniques. And then to be able to compound them is based on your personality and based on your imagination as well. So I've never read a book where they compound memory techniques, but I use it to a very high uh, degree of effectiveness and efficiency. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Final four questions for you, Mr. Justin, and then we can let you get on with your day. All right. So what aspect of health, and I know you're, you and I have geeked out about health before, so this shouldn't be so hard for you to answer, but what aspect of health do you feel needs more attention today than it is currently getting? So yeah, it's a very difficult question because you know, you're like, oh, well this and that, but then you realize, wait, it is getting attention. It is getting so I actually made a list of like, okay, well, in my mind, well, what do I think about these things? What do I think about health? And it came down to, I think fasting was one of them. But my number one, my number one is um, how people deal with emotional stress. And so, you know, your body doesn't know the difference between a physical stressor and an emotional stressor. It just understands stress. Cortisol levels spike at a thought of something. You can trigger so much in your body by how you think. Like a dog could either be pleasure or pain for you. So for me, it's, it's the fact that our world hasn't caught up with our physical biology, uh, hasn't caught up with the world that we live in. We're still wired for you know, thousands of years ago. And dealing with that on a very real basis, like, okay, I'm feeling stress. What do I do to reduce my stress? That aspect of health. We'll, we'll change. I don't have to say anything anymore. You know, podcast over, that's done. Boom. That was a great answer, my friend. That's very well said and something that I do think at least 95% of the people that I talk to uh, need to realize that your body does not know the difference uh, between the emotional and the physical. So, all right, next question for you. Favorite book on high performance? So with question one in mind, I'm heavily influenced by Tim Ferriss. I fundamentally disagree with um, the kind of shallow surface learning that he goes through versus like a deeper, more intimate learning and getting like much more connected. I'm sure it's, it's look, it's not necessarily the case that he takes that approach. It's the idea that he picks it up. How fast can I get in how little time versus, you know, like, well, what is there in following curiosity? I'm, I'm sure if he were on this podcast, he'd be disagreeing with me and be like, <laughs> but I do do this. But, I do that. but um you know, like I, I think Tim Ferriss books are a great place to start. The four hour work week really lays out the foundational kind of principles of what he does. The four hour chef was by far my favorite because he gets into so many different topics. But I'd have to say that my number one for peak performance is about understanding things differently. The mind is so powerful. And for that, I would recommend any of Nassim Nicholas Taleb's books, The Black Swan, yeah, Random, uh, Fooled by Randomness. Um, currently, I'm working my way through Anti-Fragile again. I love it, you know, and there's so many ideas in there. It's a bit thick the way he talks about it, but, you know, enjoying one page per hour and just like eating eating the ideas as they come up. I love it. Dude, this is why you and I get along so well. Uh, Talib <laughs> is probably, I think Anti-Fragile is one of my top five favorite books. So that's so good. So good. What's your top trick for enhancing your focus, especially given that you're, you're always learning? I tell this to my, my clients all the time. Is don't try and study sitting at a desk. Stand up, move, walk around. If you're going to read, pace back and forth. Like Get pacing to be automatic so that you can pace while you're doing something um, because physical movement is a big deal. One of the main reasons why people actually feel tired when they start sitting down and studying for so long is actually because of their posture. They start inefficiently heart rate slows, which means less blood and oxygen actually make it to the brain. And so it's not actually that they can't focus, it's that they're not providing their brain with enough fuel. So one of my focus hacks, I can say, is maybe every 30 minutes standing up, 
moving around slow and controlled and deliberate, uh, doing maybe like the breath of fire. What's it called? Uh, Kapubatu breathing. Uh, well, there we go. Uh, yeah. It's been a while. I, I'm not for any yogi listening out there. Uh, I'm sorry if I got that completely wrong, but I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. The um, but it's a rapid fire breath followed by like more loose breaths, so maybe like a minute of breathing to two minutes of breathing, uh, moving the body, walking around a little bit, and then also maybe a quick thing to put you in a better mood because if you've got a person in a bad mood and a person in a good mood, that same person in two different moods with the same problem will come up with a completely different set of results. And so to put yourself into a better mood, quick hacks for that are kids. Kids are like drunk little mini people. They're hilarious. You know, uh, animals, they're hilarious as well. They're cute. They, they trigger loads of emotions. Uh, lovers. So if you've got any personal connections where you, um, you're in love, you feel a moment of love, a child, an animal, things like that. They they tend to trigger smiles. So that's what I do: physical movement, breathing, and then something mental to make me smile and calm down. And just remember, you know, like love is important. You know, smiling is important. That's amazing, uh, Justin. Where can people find out more about you? And talk to me a little bit more about this course because I think a lot of people could be interested in it. Sure. So people can find more about me quite active on Instagram at uh, I am the brainsmith. <laughs> I love the idea of saying brainsmith, like a blacksmith forging things. And, and you know, because the brain is quite stubborn when it wants to be kind of like a piece of metal, it needs to be worked. So shaping things. So I am the brainsmith on Instagram, my page on Facebook as well. I'm quite active. I upload quite a lot there. And then the landing page is uh, braintrain.london, www.braintrain.london. People always ask me why London. And the answer is London is an example of a multinational, multicultural society. And that's, I'd love London to be an example of that for the world, not because it's British. There's actually more non-British people living in London than British and that's what I love about it. You know, you can walk down the street and hear multiple accents in English, multiple languages as well. So that's why braintrain.london. So at the moment, yeah, so I take people through language education. I help people to improve spoken fluency and accelerated learning times uh, by running them through my program and just uh, giving them a chance to actually uh, get better information about language. So currently I'm running this with Spanish and a Spanish course that runs... Uh, one session per week for three months, and that introduces people to the principles. Uh, I provide all the materials uh, before anyone says anything like, yeah, I'm not a native speaker in Spanish. I, I hire a native speaker in Spanish to give me a lot of inputs and to, you know, to interact with people. Native speakers are so important. It's, uh, you know, that tone, that, that accent is something that's years in the making. And so, yeah, uh, I put all of these things together to help highly functional people who don't have time for immersion or who don't have time to waste on inefficient methods to get the best results that they can. Well, I think you're speaking the right audience because everybody here is time constrained, <laughs> definitely time constrained, high performers. So, you know, Justin, thank you for this. And the course itself, they can find out more details on that at braintrain.london. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, once again, thank you for taking the time. This has been an absolute pleasure. I know I learned a lot. Oh. I, my Amazon account, <laughs> my Amazon account's going to take a little bit of a dent after this, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, brother, it's always a, a pleasure talking to you. And maybe we're going to have you back on for a round two to talk about metacognitive models. Maybe after you, oh. after we go through anti-fragile a couple more times. But, oh yeah, absolutely. Boomer, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Excellent. And to all the superhumans out there, have an absolutely epic day. Superhumans, before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. 
check out what we have going on over there. And if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day. And remember, as always, choose health. <laughs>